Overlooking Phoenix, from high above in the Star Worldwide Network Studios, Badge Boys. Stories, insight, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. And now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Welcome back to another edition of the Badge Boys, the show where two retired cops talk to the community. I'm retired Crime Stopper Sergeant Darren Birch, and unfortunately not in studio is Phoenix Police Officer Jason Schechterly, but as a... I was going to say it's a huge button. I can't. I can't even use that. Right? Uh, it's it's our beautiful rock and robin producer. Well, I have uh, a huge butt. Does that no, count? No, you don't, young lady. Uh, she is sitting in for Jason as always. So we'll have our cops and robin segment. Uh, but uh, we have a great show. I'm going to give you a tease. It is Angels on Patrol meets Mount Kilimanjaro. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's and, pretty extreme. Yeah, <laughs> Angels on Kilimanjaro. I love it. Uh, I love climbing. I love everything that has to do with that. I love everything about Angel Metro. But I have to kind of elf in the room. We haven't done a show in a while. No, it's been a few weeks. You've it, been busy. I, it's been insane. Uh, we right? had Accelerate came out to uh, Phoenix with Axon. It's the the nation's largest tech show for law enforcement. Um, and we have it right here in the Valley, uh, Phoenix, Arizona. So that was nice. We did that. Jason and I did, oh my gosh, probably during the three-day period, probably 15 or 20 interviews maybe. Wow, look uh, at I, you guys. I know. Uh, got to um, interview some congressmen for FRN. Um, Wait a minute, Poli- politicians? I, what was well, nice is it was we you, had right? Republican. Yeah, you're right. Okay, it was, it was only you. me. Yeah, I was going to say Jason. And <laughs> we his, couldn't he risk Jason doing yeah. interview politicians. Um, but yeah, so we uh, interviewed, oh my gosh, we had um, Congressman Biggs, Congressman Gallegos. Uh, we had police chiefs. We had sheriffs. We had all sorts of great folks that we interviewed. So it was really, really an excellent event. Uh, you can see it now on FRN. If you go to FRN, it's under specials. You just look up specials or documentaries, and you'll see Accelerate 2023. And there's so many shows. And one of the shows we also did was called Zero Now. The Zero Now re- replies to, or is referenced, excuse me, to no more casualties at school shootings. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, that is more than a mantra. It is pretty much a promise by doing everything together uh, in this group. And we'll have a lot of interviews going forward. We're going to have the uh, um, interview with the uh, officer who stopped the Las Vegas shooter oh, that's uh, so way cool. up in that uh, hotel. It was shooting down at the um, concert goers. We're going to have a parent who is a um, surviving parent of a young lady who was killed in Virginia Tech we're going to have a lot of shows in the coming two months that have to do specifically with mass shooters and how we're going to stop, not them, because we can't stop the insanity. We can't stop the stupidity, monstrous acts they, they want to do. But there is ways we can have zero children hurt, and there is a formula. And there, you know, I had a a person who was here yesterday. She actually is a a doctor and she works in the psychology area and beautiful lady, 102 years old. And she brought up a great point about how to stop the school shootings, especially when it's children committing these shootings. She said it's as simple as putting a dog in a classroom because dogs teach unconditional love. Dogs give love. And as we do with a lot of service animals, with veterans, when they're going through PTSD, you see a lot of their, them having service animals. So she brought up a great suggestion about putting a dog in a classroom and then having students pet the dog and feel good about themselves. Because a lot of times it's, it's self-esteem issues, it's mental health issues. And if we can circumvent it somehow, before it ever gets started, something as simple as putting a dog in a classroom might you know, be able to help out. I'm part of the Zero Now network uh, of experts in the field, non-experts in the field. Uh, so I will absolutely throw that into the, the mix because that is absolutely, what it is, is it's you know all these uh, 
possibilities coming forward. Right. You know, not just right. one thing, but so many things. Multitudes of things, yeah. 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 Whatever you so, can do. So uh, for our listeners, get ready for the next two months. Uh, we are going to have one incredible guest after another. Uh, but it all starts here today with uh, Demetria Griggs with the Angels on Patrol. She is the board president. She's going to talk about Angels on Patrol, which is the incredible mission that basically – uh, they support families in crisis and at-risk youth through direct requests from the law enforcement officers. And she'll talk more about that. But their program, which is which I alluded to in the very beginning, was uh, Angels on Patrol, but Angels on Kilimanjaro. And doing that is some officers, and we'll list them. And with us is Officer Marcel Miller, who is going to be go and i'm going to be donating to her so uh for her uh, trip to uh the peak and to the top to the summit uh so without further ado uh ladies welcome to the badge boys thank you i want to kind of start with you demetria in terms of you know i gave a real quick sound bite to a mission and, and hopefully i'm accurate if i'm not please correct me uh that's what i recall it being back in the days when i worked with jackie and she kind of got the whole thing rolling with Angel Montreal, but please correct me where I'm wrong and talk about Angels on Patrol. Absolutely. Well, thank you for giving us the time and platform. I appreciate that very much. So Angels on Patrol was founded in 2009 by retired Phoenix police officer Jackie McConnell. And from there, our mission was really helping families and children in crisis and also uh, youth enrichment. Since we have grown so much since 2009, we now have had to kind of change our mission to reach above and beyond that. So we are an officer-initiated uh, nonprofit that um, we support those uh, officers and community members in times of crisis. So the the scope of Angels on Patrol, I think, has broadened. So those people in crisis so children families individuals uh, are identified by police officers and when we get the referral we have we now have the ability to help more families with the donations and the the good gracious people of uh of arizona and and around the world even uh, to continue to help us support the mission of angels on patrol but the, the uniqueness of the organization is that an officer has the ability to help a community member in times of need for a crisis situation. Uh, maybe the, the uh, family needs just basic needs. They may need a meal. They need a, a shelter for a night. They're able to do that without going in their own pockets. They can sit could submit a referral to Angels on Patrol, and we would fill that request. And not that officer not only has gone above and beyond, but the officer does not have to pull out of uh, his or her pocket in order to help the family. So that's you know what I, I would say. Angels on Patrol has much more you know expanded with the more um, support we have from our donors, the more we can do for more families and for more officers. And we're trying to bridge the gap between um, community and officers, right? We want to change the perception of law enforcement within the community. So all of those things, I would say, uh, really describe Angels on Patrol at this point and at, you know, at this time of the organization and, and what we're, we have going on currently. Yeah, I love how you talked about officers pulling money out of their own pockets, having me in a cop for 30 years. Um, you know, I, I truly could not tell you how many times I spent my own money to kind of put a Band-Aid on a situation. I knew it was only a Band-Aid, you know, whether it was money for food, whether it was money for a hotel. Um, you know, I did it on a regular basis, and I'm not the only one uh, by a right. long shot. That's what officers did on a regular basis, you know. And we see it, and it's 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 not a PR tool. It's not a you know a media thing. It's not a fanfare thing. We just did it because it was the right thing to do, and there was no resources. So when Jackie talked to me about Angels on Patrol and and trying to get something together for her to create this this unique animal um, organization that provides that those monies that financial and sometimes it might not even be financial. It could be you know. 
um, something to do with the hotel room and so forth. Can you talk about some of the specific scenarios that Angels on Patrol has been involved? Not the names, of course, you know, for anonymity right. purposes, but, you know, some of the uh, scenarios, if you will, that where they've helped out. Sure. There's so many that come to mind, but one that I I feel um, is, is really important and I'm an advocate for or against is um, the domestic violence. And when a woman and her children need to get out of a situation and a cop is involved and in trying to do that, you know, it's really hard for that the victim and the officer to place that victim and her children somewhere safe. So with Angels on Patrol, the co- the uh, officer can call or um, usually they submit a request online and then we call them to get the details on the situation. We provide them a safe place, maybe for an evening or two, provide food. Um, in addition to that, we give them a phone that they can use because you know phones can be tracked and we want to make sure that they can get to where they need to and get their business taken care of in a safe manner. So some of those victims, we also send them back to their home state. Maybe they're just, you know, some have come here to Arizona to start a new life, but they, you know, after a a domestic violence situation, they have to go to their, their original homes. Um, And also angels on patrol, I have to say is a short term solution to potential long-term problems. So, we provide amazing resources for that individual to get back on their feet. We're that we're that in between, right? Because we can't, um, you know, support one family, you know, for a very long period of time. But if we do it incrementally, that's their opportunity to uh, maybe fix their situation, get out of a domestic violence or violent situation. Um, you know, there's a there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of stories about, you know, people who are uh, homeless and, you know, getting them off the street and getting them, you know, shelter for a night or two because all the shelters are full. And if you're a mom and you have children, you know, that's difficult to do. It's difficult to get there. It's difficult. So, I mean, from from Uber rides to Walmart pickup orders or, or drop off orders to hotel nights to you know, getting a new battery for, you know, someone's car, uh, a mother's car who, you know, is 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 on her last leg and uh, trying to, you know, make sure her car works so she can drop her children off to daycare and go to work. So that, those are some of the descriptions. I mean, I have my own personal stories that um, how I started off with Angels on Patrol was volunteering. And um, I, I was a founding board member, um, meaning when the when the organization began is when I started with the organization. And what I figured out is that there was a woman and she lived very close to me. Her child got kidnapped and this was around Christmas time. Well, the child was found, but the child was found and didn't have her original clothes on, didn't have anything. And I, I said, you know what, I want to adopt that family. I want to adopt that entire family for Christmas. And I was able to actually go with officers to drop those gifts off and see the look on those folks' face when they got their basic needs met. Not even, I mean, considering the tragedy and trauma they had to deal with that that little girl had to deal with, uh, we, I, I just felt, I felt compelled to do that. And because she lived so close to me, it, you know, I, I put myself in that position and said, hey, you know, that could have been me, but it wasn't. So let me give back. And I have not stopped since. Yeah, I love that story. Thank you for sharing that because that is, uh, I hate to use the word typical because it's it's so sad and so heartfelt, yet I, I think you would even test that is the type of typical scenarios that Angel on Patrol is able to do. And to your point about, um, you know, it's a, a stopgap measure. It's, it's, it's yes. a, 
you know, I, the word Band-Aid doesn't really cover it because it really is a stopgap measure. But there's other resources that will bear, but sometimes it takes a while for them to come to, to fruition. Uh, like you said, there's a lot of shelters. There's a lot of homeless. There's a lot of problems today. So we need Angels on Patrol. So thank you, thank you, thank you for everything you do, as well as the entire organization and the men and women in uniform that are the, the, uh, the conduit for these, these families in crisis. Uh, let's talk about something fun now. Let's talk about <laughs> climbing a mountain. Uh, wh- whose idea was this? And talk about the uh, inception to conception you know, of this um, incredible event. Right, well, Marshall could take over at a, at a certain point here, but I'll just tell you this. We have a lot of wonderful partner partnering organizations, and K, K2 Adventures is one of those organizations. One of the uh, resources on K2 actually served on the board for Angels on Patrol. And, you know, once we once a person needs to go on and do another thing, it's their passion, we still want them to be an advocate. We want them to be a partner. So they decided that um, this Mount Kilimanjaro climb could be a great fundraiser for Angels on Patrol and generate money so we can continue to help our community. And when this was approached by us, we said, oh, my goodness, how are we going to do this? I mean, to raise the money to go there, these hikers have to raise the money, um, you know, get there. Obviously, if this is, you know, this is a foreign place to them, um, get used to that and get psychologically, mentally, physically and financially ready for this. So the idea was just made through uh, something that K2 Adventures usually does on an annual basis. And now they wanted to pull in Angels on Patrol and partner with us to make it happen. And we are making it happen. I love it. Uh, we had a guest. Oh my gosh, how long ago, Robin? Less Not, than a year. Thank you. Less yeah. than a year. She was a uh, uh, paramedic, uh, worked with police, and she went through something horrible. And they reached out to her. It could have been K2 Adventures, uh, but they reached out to her to help her kind of climb out of her depression, climb out Kimanjaro, and it really helped her. And that was like a personal story, but to the point that Mount Kilimanjaro is actually something a lot of people you know think about in terms of this this destiny this peak to climb it and climb out whatever they're doing so the idea of using it as a fundraiser for awareness for angels on patrol i love it and this is perfect time to talk about um officer marshall miller uh you are going to be going along with a uh, police chief actually two police chiefs another officer and a pio you got a nice little group of uh what five of you uh talk about how exciting this is and um, are you prepared for this? Are you a climber? And you know, talk a little bit about yourself as well as this uh, incredible journey. Well, I, I met someone I don't, a couple years ago, and she talked about her personal journey on Kilimanjaro, and it had been a thought in my mind. I'm an avid hiker. I'm from Chicago originally, uh, so everything's flat. But I was a runner, and then I came here, joined the police academy, had to learn how to run mountains and hike and do all that fun stuff. And I've truly enjoyed it. And I had suffered some meniscus, like knee injury stuff. And my orthopedic surgeon pretty much said, stop running. So I took up hiking and I've been hiking. I don't know. I'm hiking the Grand Canyon next weekend. I hiked it last month. I hiked uh, Mount Whitney. No. And she says this like it's no big deal, right? <laughs> no, right. Ben. I don't know. Like, it's just who I am. People think I'm crazy, but whatever, you know. Last weekend, I did a 15 and a half mile hike in the McDowell's, almost 4,000 feet in elevation total. It's just what I do. It's where I can zone out. I, I am a domestic violence detective, so some of the things um, that Dee was talking about, I her first two stories those are my stories. Yeah. I have had victims where Angels on Patrol has sent a 19-year-old girl home to Ohio on a bus because she had to jump out of a car to her safety yeah. and to be able to give her clothes and to give her, to let her know that she, I'm actually getting chills as I talk about it, to let this young girl know that she can go home to her support system was huge. And to see the smile on her face. So you know, everyone has their their journey that they take. And the fact that Angels on Patrol can get someone to a safe place or to their support system so that they can continue to heal 
just as we're getting sent to Kilimanjaro. I've been through a lot. I think, um, you know, life brings its ups and downs and Kilimanjaro has just been a great focus for me right now. And it's a great um, mental health break, if you will. I'll be out of work for three weeks in July and taking on this endeavor. And it's been exciting. You know, I've had a um, second wind gym. He is a great trainer. He's taken me on to train me for free because he knows that it's going to take a lot of effort to do that. I have a great friend group where we plan hikes every weekend, um, anything small to, you know, hiking Piastua Peak or like my 15 miler this past weekend or the Grand Canyon last month, this month, you know, so I have a really great network of people that are helping me get ready for this trek up. I, I have to say it. it's a little scary. You know, it's elevation sickness is a big deal and it's a thing, but well, well, that's what after I was meeting with um, my chief and some of the assistant chiefs and uh, some other people, it's, you know, you just do it. You just commit to it and keep training and move forward. It's you, been it's been a great process so far. You bring up a good point because uh, having gone uh, you know rim to rim on the on the, in the Grand Canyon, it, it, it there was a, oh my gosh it took you know from you know sun up to sundown you know for me, uh, and that was that was that was something. So compare that to <laughs> the elevation of Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, that's nothing compared to the 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 mount. Am I right? No, it, it is nothing. Wow. I think, um, and then not to minimize. Sure, by sure. No, but realistically. And by the way, I'm a little sore. We were scheduled to do rim to rim this weekend, but the North Rim isn't open yet. So <sighs> we're diverting. It's my son's birthday. And oh. so he's coming. He'll be 17. And we're diverting and just doing the South Rim. Um, but it I mean, that's a feat in and of itself. Sure, With the heat sure. and everything going up, Um is exciting but exponentially However, speaking the elevation adds this other level yeah to it yeah so talk about that how tall is mount kilimanjaro how many days is it going to take can i talk about the weeds a little bit if you could sure so it's a six-day trek um five days up one day down to my understanding um i just go like i just show up <laughs> i make sure i'm ready and i just go and i show do. up there, listen a, to her. I just stud, go and I show up. Stud. Yeah, you, know, you, show up, you know, I think wow. it's about consistency and showing up. And um, it's 19,543 feet in elevation. Um, and it's done in, like I said, five days. You camp each day, uh, experiencing all four climates that yeah. we have here, at, not here in Arizona, but just that, that exist sure. and you go from the rainforest and it's very hot up to below zero. Yeah. Um, that's my challenge, the the below zero from Chicago. Still don't like the cold. Um, <laughs> was shopping for my smart wool, like undergarments today and the hat and like all that fun stuff. But um, it's definitely an experience, not just the elevation because there is prep work that you have to do. You have to, climb elevations, you have to get your heart ready. You definitely want to make sure, you know, cardiovascularly, you can manage that. Sure. Because if you can't, you're not summiting. And I don't let people down, you know, yeah. I, I want to make sure that I can accomplish the goal that was set. Um, Jackie's been very supportive the whole, the minute I said, yeah, she's like, you can do this, you can do this. And part of my mind saying, I better do that. <laughs> I'll be put a lot of people, you know, I, I'd be letting a lot of people down. So I think you just put one foot in front of the other. You just make sure that you do something every day to be appreciative of what you have. And um, good things will happen. I think the camping, I'm, I'm a backpacker, so that's not anything that's going to be shocking. Um we use porta potties, like they carry one with them, which I think is crazy. You know, so we have both <laughs> facilities while we're hiking up at least a couple times um, during each day. We reach camp, they cook for us, which I think is amazing. I'm used to pulling out the little <laughs> burner and trying to cook, <laughs> cook food myself. So it'll be nice to have them provide that. 
Um, but we'll be out of our element definitely for six days. We're not showering. We're not, you know, there's nothing glamorous about a six day trek going from, you know, and you only can carry so much stuff with you. Yeah, yeah. 15 pound pack and there's some quarters, but you can't take everything with you. You better know exactly what you need. And if you don't have it, that's just too bad. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So what can we do to help get you there and to help raise awareness for angels on patrol and the fundraising? Is there a website and talk a little bit about the raffles that I kind of alluded to, uh, cause I'm going to absolutely put my <laughs> hundred dollars in for a raffle ticket. Talk a little bit about that, please. Do you want me to start to you or? Yeah, yeah, no, go sure, ahead. Sure, you can go ahead, Marshall. Okay, and then help me and add on if needed. Sure. So I, um, in my journey to just get the fund ra- funds raised, I was kind of concerned. You know, we were obligated to $7,500 um, in order to hike up. And I have met my goal, but I'm continuing. In fact, the, correct me if I'm wrong, D, the Paradise Valley Chief has raised 10,000. So I'm hoping to match at least what he has just because why not, you know, and you people could just send money directly. There is a link that we have. I don't know if there's a link that we can directly um, send to you or people can just go on angelsonpatrol.org, go to support. And at the very bottom, it says angels on Keeley's. They can just click on that and it's going to go right to a donation page. So they That's can do it that way. Do am I wrong yes. in that or? No, you're absolutely correct. So, I mean, it's, it gives more than enough information on there, but um, you can donate specifically to a hiker. You can um, buy a raffle to ticket. Hiker, not to, to this hiker. <laughs> to Marcel. To okay. She has been putting in the work. I mean, she, you know, I, I'm looking and I, I wrote down her quote. I don't let people down. I love that. Right. I mean, what, you know, way to keep accountability for yourself and keep yourself in check. I love that, Marshall. So when it's about um, the community, though. Like, I really want to make sure that this isn't I'm not it's it, I don't want to let people down, but I'm just a figure at this moment for Angels on Patrol. It's really about the people that we help because. Yeah. That's what all of this is about. I've seen the look on people's faces when they get resources from Angels on Patrol, and that's why I'm doing it. I mean, let's face it. Who's willing to say, oh, yay, I'm going to hike up, you know, this high in five days and camp and not sleep, and it's hot and it's cold, and it's – who wants to do that? (laughs) Not very many of us. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Yes, absolutely. I was going to say it's absolutely for a uh, wonderful organization. And I don't think I put it out there that Angels on Patrol is a nonprofit organization. Uh, Angels on Patrol sounds just like it. it's spelt. Um, and, and, you know, I'm gonna add, I want to add my personal Please. touch to this. Um, being a domestic violence survivor and also an advocate now for others, I really appreciate what you guys do at Angels on Patrol because back in the day when my first incident happened in the 80s, Nothing like that existed. And for it to be around today and to offer that kind of help, that reassurance that you're not alone and what you were talking about, getting that young lady back to her family, those kind of things are so important because we forget about community. We forget that there are resources available and the fact that you guys are out there doing this to help people in those type of situations. Bravo to you for reaching out and doing what you need to do and volunteering and for you for being affected by what was going on down the street from you to jump in and say, I'm here to help. That's right. That's right. And I can hear that emotion in your voice about that and that is one reason why i've stuck around as a founding board member all of this time because i i have this is heart work to me you know for me uh there's no you know the the exchange is to see the the change that's you know you can see what's changing around you. You can see what's happening around you, how you're affecting change with what you're doing in the community. You know, um, people always want to think about a monetary reward, but what about a reward from the heart? And that's where, you know, I mean, I, I remember one time, one Christmas, I have to tell this story. We went to a house and um, no, it was a trailer at the time because the family's house had burned down and uh, the the family could only speak Spanish. 
And um, it didn't matter. We had a person to come, a volunteer to come help us deliver those gifts that particular year. And um, she spoke Spanish. But the one thing that I heard in English was the little girl, when I gave her her gifts, she she put her arms up to me and she said, I love you. I, I, I was like. <laughs> that makes it all I worth was, it. I, that right there, I was like, okay, Jackie, you got me. I'm here. What do you need me to do? <laughs> you guys are amazing. You know I, like, I like to look at Angels on Patrol as just giving people hope and dignity back. Yes. Because people, I, I mean, I deal with, gosh, almost 100 cases a month. And not that Angels on Patrol is needed for all of those cases, but those that are, you know, people have lost hope. And people just need to know they're supported in some way and sometimes it's an ear but sometimes it has to be financial whether it's a hotel stay or something like that um can i just so i think that i want to make sure i don't miss the whole fundraising aspect there have been Please. some really great people that have donated um raffle prizes i'm doing like a local raffle i've had donations from 511 um i've had donations from second wind gym um Desert Down Dog Yoga donated some things. The Arizona Hiking Shack also donated some items. So those are all being those are all being raffled off at a small raffle in just locally, just to make it you know, easier. And locally, but then we also have a raffle for winning a ticket to trek up Mount Kilimanjaro, either with me this year or next year yeah i love the idea that badge boys can help out with that uh we could uh raffle something off where they get to come to the studio they can hang out with you the only uh, caveat is you're gonna have to take a shower um <laughs> after the climb to come down that's it Hi. that's the only caveat Hi. <laughs> why we love we love sweaty cops come on now that's true good point but no in all sincerity i'll get a hold of you marcel and we'll, we'll work something out so we can be part of this because like you said it's all about community coming forward helping those who might have thought they they lost hope uh, in the time of crisis. And, and we have a beautiful community here. Uh, again, thank you so much to Angels on Patrol. Thank you for uh, coming here, Demetria and Marcel. Good luck on your climb. We will be in contact because I also want to donate to your specific climb as well. And thank you, thank, thank you, you, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. And I appreciate getting the word out. It's so important. Absolutely. Uh, we'll be right back with uh, Comps and Robin. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Badge Boys. We'll be back right after this. If you like the Badge Boys, you'll love their books. Starting with Burning Shield, the Jason Schechterly story, which Arizona Diamondbacks president Derek Hall proclaimed, Jason is an inspiration and his story must be read and shared. The professionally written novel is a powerful biography chronicling Jason's gut-wrenching battle to health after being trapped in a fireball that consumed his police car and his high-stakes legal showdown against the Ford Motor Company for their explodingly lethal Crown Victoria police cruisers. Then there's Darren's award-winning Twisted But True book trilogy with close to 100 compelling and funny true crime stories that American detectives with Lieutenant Joe Kenda producer called the perfect blend of humor, heroism, and honor. And retired Colonel Dave Grossman declared, Darren's twisted but true books are hilarious, deep, and powerful. Each book in the series received the Pinnacle Award for the best true crime book, and a story from book two was featured on an ID Channel television show. And Robin's most recent book, Soul Stirrings, reviewed as an often humorous and spiritually uplifting story of a widow's soul-searching pilgrimage to the afterlife. Darren called it a love story, a ghost story, an investigative story. It's a story like no other. And Robin's first book, Victim No More, where she shares her harrowing experiences with rape and domestic violence as Robin takes the reader on a very personal journey through the morass of abuse and loss, and ultimately, survival. These Badge Boy books should be on everybody's top 10 reading list. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. That was absolutely wonderful talking with Demetria Griggs, the president of the board for Angels on Patrol, as well as police officer Marcel Miller, uh, having to do with Angels on Kilimanjaro or 
Angels on Killy, as they say. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's been a while because we were talking about this off the air that it's been several years since Angels on Patrol had been in the studio with us. So it's yes, really cool to have yeah. them back. We had uh, Charlie's Heroes. Oh, uh, little old Charlie. Little Charlie. Oh, and she's her mom she's and growing up big time now. Yes, yeah, she is. She's not little anymore. But uh, yeah, so it's kind of nice having Angels on Patrol back. They're local. However, that mindset of a stopgap measure in these nonprofits, they're in different states. So I highly encourage you to check out the, uh, the ones in your state, if not Angels on Patrol specifically, because I know they help out in other states other than Arizona, but it's limited. So Right. I'm grateful for them, out. especially, like I said, you know, being a survivor and an advocate, it's nice to have something that the community can fall back on. And, you know, a lot of these folks, they see things that most of us don't see on a daily basis and they walk into these situations and it's so cool to actually have them give a hand up. And it's helping not just those families and um, at-risk youths in crisis, but it's helping the police officers because twofold. One is officers need something a conduit measure and many times the shelters are full and there's just nothing they can do they write the report but they don't want to walk away thinking that somebody could still be in trouble and so the idea that this is really a great thing for police officers and then second the idea that it's community-based policing the officer is able to con- connect with that community that community member in crisis so right. i love that because we're missing that and it's it's difficult because of what law enforcement has been facing for so long in the past few years it's difficult funding i mean yeah, there's some yeah, departments that yeah. have had some major defunding and it, it makes it even more difficult when a lot of those uh, conduits now are gone because of the defunding nature yeah it's so just a shame but, it is but, all but things. We, we know we love you guys that are out there all you leos retired still serving whatever you're doing just be safe because we know how difficult it is out there to to face what you're dealing with absolutely uh you know when jason's gone um i won't lie you know it's like damn i really wish jason was here i just I love know. having he's him been here. gone he's for so, so long it's, Miss him. it's my uh, uh you know how like for him i provide him with his uh, um, therapy therapy yeah he's able to <laughs> vent and during our cop talk segment it's usually me telling him something and boom he goes into a therapy mode uh, but he but it's vice versa you know when he's here he's so inspirational just to, to be next to and talk to and his journey uh as a young officer and to this point now where he's a megastar he is going mm-hmm. all over the the world now um, speaking so huge kudos to my dear friend and and cohort in crime here with badge boys uh huge kudos to him but the bright side is when he's not here i get to do cops and robin he rocks in the treetop all day long hopping and a bopping and a singing his song all the little birds on jaybird street love to hear the robin go tweet tweet rock and robin tweet tweet rock and robin that song still gets me after all these years <laughs> so yeah boy uh, the fbi has had a real historic bad week with three major scandals darren so uh let's get into this and see what's going on wow. special prosecutors investigating you know the d report showing the russian collusion was ill-conceived yeah, the report was a special prosecutor uh, who was as- assigned, and it was not political. Of course, now everyone's going to try and make it political, but uh, he's definitely not political. And the report was showing that the the basis of the Russian collusion investigation, as it relates to the FBI, which is a law enforcement, you know, it's a federal um albeit federal, is law enforcement. It's a criminal investigation. And for the uh, FBI to fudge visa reports, uh, excuse me, the visa courts, which is um, basically eliminating um, due process. And you go into a judge, say, hey, this is why I need to do this, and boom, they, they give you subpoena power, and they can do warrants and so forth. Uh, search warrants, they can do clandestine style where you're eavesdropping uh, you know all those sort of things and for them to initiate it on a false statement is 
just unheard of. You know, it really is. So that's the bottom line is no matter how many people were in trouble, most of them are gone now from the FBI in these upper management levels, upper echelon. They definitely started something that should never have been started, and that's what the Durham report has shown. And take political aside, forget politics, forget left, right, forget red and blue. It was a... It was an investigation that should not have started, quite frankly. It's fine politically if you want to do things politically, but not by the FBI. And that was definitely a bad um, report as far as the bad information from that report about the FBI. It gave the FBI, without a doubt, a black eye, the upper management, no doubt about it. Well, since Jason's not here, I'm going to take the throne on this next one. And I'm a little pissed off when I read this, Darren. Um, Whistleblowers say the Bureau dropped child crime investigation for yeah. January 6th. What the hell is that? Yeah, I watched the, um, the, in fact, it's funny, that was happening during Police Week, and I was actually in D.C. doing Police Week. And I think we talked a little bit about that in the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so I was had the honor of talking with some congressmen, both left and right, that were supporting police. A lot of them had prior police um, careers and or military and when i saw that come out this i did not expect it i heard rumblings about these whistleblowers from the fbi that were talking about being they had issues with the january 6th investigation not with the overall arc of it but with the fact that people were being reassigned that they were playing with numbers that they were just doing things to enhance the investigative powers for the January 6th investigation at the um, detriment, if you will, of other cases to include child crime. So there was like a child, child trafficking and stuff. Uh, well, there was one particular whistleblower who was on a task force for child crimes, and that can be cyber, it can be in person. I don't know particulars, but he was taken off that and reallocated to this task force which he felt already had enough resources and that they're playing around if i can remember right i don't want to say something he didn't say it might have been another whistleblower there was three uh but he felt that they're playing around with the numbers to to make it look like it was worse than it was in terms of individuals should have been one incident with investigation of these following people rather than if there was an individual from let's say phoenix and that was there on January 6th, then they turn it into a Phoenix investigation opposed to, and now you have like all these separate investigations, but really all stemming from the same incident. So I get where he was coming from with that, as well as being reassigned, um, showing this had a higher priority. And you know what? January 6th is over in terms of the the at-risk a child in an in-home environment that is still at risk should be a higher precedent. So that I will absolutely put my, you know, yeah, two pissed, cents that, on. That really pisses me off. Yeah. It's like you don't realize just how precious children are. Right. And coming from the background that I did as an abused child, that should take precedence because children moving forward, we have to protect those generations and show them that they're important enough to us. And for them to pull people off of that and put them on January 6th, when how many years has gone by now? There's, you know? Yeah, two years. There's yeah. no higher precedent and priority than an at-home risk child. No doubt. No doubt. Ugh. First thing we ask, is it a in-home you know, scenario? And if it is, that's the highest risk so to take people off. So that is definitely concerning. Uh, now, having said that, uh, last thing I'll say about the whistleblowers is that when it was on uh, the congressional hearings, it did feel and had the um, earmarkings of partisanship the the mm. people on the left were trying to show that the whistleblowers were disgruntled people on the right were showing them as being true heroes so take what you want wow. out of it um but there is concern when you're relocating out allocation for something that's already occurred to something that is occurring now so i i will say that and the last one that's getting the FBI in trouble, they are caught spying without a warrant on over 278,000 citizens 
and their internet activity. Yeah, again, mm. this is all in one week. In one week, uh, the dorm report came out with a black eye. And again, a lot of people uh, are looking at it with a political lens, which is unfortunate. Look at it with no lens. Just read it for what it's worth, and you take away that there was some malfeasance and some bad management on top. When you look at the whistleblowers, again, um, there's a political lens attached, maybe rightfully so, I don't know. Uh, but again, that was my concern. But when it comes to this last category, without a doubt, when the FBI agents are allowed to, without due process, are able to spy on citizens that without any probable cause for a warrant, just based on the visa, uh, visa um, category with this one and clerk basically, you know, hearing it and then allocating it and be able to do all these things through the internet and searching what you were saying. I, I absolutely believe in staying safe. And I personally don't care. Hey, you want to look at my stuff and you want to gleam something, go at it. But we're going down a slippery slope as it relates to our rights. So just because I'm willing to give up my right and you can search anything you want on the internet uh, if, it, if, if you think you can keep our country safe. But hey, how about this? How citizens sign up for that? Right. Um, you know, and instead of just you being big brother and deciding who should be spied upon and who shouldn't, I think due process is, and this is a, of concern, and this is not partisan. Both the left and right in Congress are equally concerned about this aspect as um, the FBI is asking for permission to continue this visa program. Um, that, that is concerning. That is, and they need to address that. Uh, 278,000 um that's potentially minuscule. That's inappropriate. Minuscule, though. Yeah, it's still minuscule because what if they looked into the politicians? You, you know, never know what yeah, you can find I, I can out. almost guarantee you, yeah. uh, other than maybe like they did with the arrest collusion, you know, unless there's uh, some partisanship, you know, it, it, you won't see anybody like that. Uh, is citizens and based on keywords and so forth. And, and I get it. We have to, see, if you see something, say something. I get that. I get, but man, if somebody is venting and just saying something and, and all of a sudden now you're, re, you know, going into their files and you're going, I don't know. Well, I, they I may be coming after that. me with the way I talk on the internet. You never know. Yeah, yeah luckily they're not listening <laughs> to bad for you because Jason would be in trouble. No doubt about it. Right. <laughs> well, I have one more for you, Darren, yes. if you want this. The, uh, the defunded Chicago police are now using police stations for immigrant shelters. Yes, I Interesting. Saw, yeah, I saw that story. And um, y again, um, Lori Lightweight, excuse me, Lightfoot. Well, she's out, right? Uh, she is out, but during her reign of terror, excuse me, during her reign of uh, <laughs> um, being the mayor, she definitely says she wasn't going to defund, but then she did things that absolutely 100% did defund the police, even though she didn't say, she didn't like the defund word, she just liked what it meant. And now they have a new uh, mayor, and I'm not a big fan, having seen what I've seen from him. And I, I, I venture to say the uh, Chicago police aren't a huge fan of him either. So I can't imagine how happy the, the Chicago Police Department is housing these immigrants in the police stations. And I can only hope, and, and not just hope, I, I, I'm, they would have to vet them somehow, right? You would but think. You would think. But uh, this is not an appropriate um, use of police funds in terms of shelters. Uh, so, again, I, we just had Amazon Metro, a stopgap stop measures, band-aids, so forth. I get that in a time of crisis. I understand that. But uh, the police station, albeit safe for these immigrants, I appreciate that aspect of it. But are you stopping people from coming into the station now? What kind of interactions are you having with the public coming in to report a crime or, or if they're in crisis? Um, I have some concerns about that in terms of, it, you know, it's a bad, besides the optics, it's a bad look. I think it's the wrong message. Um, I think there's better places they could be um, housed in, in a crisis environment than a police station. And then again, you know, the police department, you know, I'm not. You know, I have no idea what the PIOs of the uh, Chicago Plea think. Uh, they may 
they may have initiated this for all I know. I just, I have concerns with it. I just do. I, I think having systematically defunded this police department and hurt it with some of their, their things that, that the, uh, the, the mayor and city council has done, and then to, it's almost like insult and injury. Right. Yeah, and I have, a, I have an issue with it. I really do. Uh, again, uh, if the Chicago PD doesn't have an issue with it, I don't have an issue with it, but I, on their behalf, without taking, taking a uh, phone call from them or to them, uh, I, I have issues with it. I absolutely do. And we have a big audience in Chicago, too. We absolutely do. We yeah. have absolutely a great audience um, from Chicago. From my book, when I was writing a book, I had a lot of Chicago cops talk to me about the book and so forth, which is why I went out there for a, a book signing. I love Chicago PD. So, again, I do mean this. If, if they don't have an issue with it, I don't. But I just have a feeling they do. I'm sure they do. Yeah. God, they take away your house, right? Uh, yeah. They take away your house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're losing, we're losing personnel. We're losing resources, and now we're going to act as babysitters as a shelter uh, mechanism. Yeah, I have issues with it. Yeah, we're right there with you, Chicago. We get it. Yeah, yeah, we love you. That was a excellent cops and Robin. And we'll be right back with our last segment, uh, Stupid Suspect Stories, uh, Heroic Headlines, and an inspirational closing message. We'll be right back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. During these challenging days, we not only need to remember our many fallen heroes for their ultimate sacrifice, but also honor them so their families know we've not forgotten. And that's what the Arizona Fallen Hero Memorial Riders Organization is all about. Each year, the nonprofit organizes three memorial rides among the beautiful backdrop of North, South, and Central Arizona, with the proceeds going to the 100 Club of Arizona. Learn more about these fun rides and how you can honor all of Arizona's fallen heroes at ArizonaFallenHeroesMemorialRiders.org. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. You know, instead of starting off with the heroic headline, which Jason will do, and then I go to the uh, stupid suspect and go to the bowels from his uh, heart-wrenching stories, I think I'm just going to go straight to the bowels. I, oh. I, I think start this segment right with our stupid suspect stories. Yeah, this is interesting. This is uh, from um, Washington. A store owner says that suspects tried to steal an ATM. The only problem, it wasn't an ATM. Yep, this is Buren, B-U-R-I-E-N, Washington. An employee at the Buren gas station said that the burglary suspects tried to steal an ATM machine at the store but left without taking anything after realizing it was a Bitcoin machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the store owner rushed to the store after he was alerted by his alarm. He arrived to find the burglary in progress. And what wasn't funny, even though it was a funny story, the suspect started shooting at him while he was trying to get the vehicle's license plate and information. Thankfully, he wasn't hurt. He wasn't shot. And hopefully, he was able to give some license plate information to police. But the suspects were caught on camera trying to literally rope um, this machine, which they thought was a uh, ATM machine, um, and attach it to their silver SUV, um, try and pull it out of the window. The surveillance video showed the suspects latching this rope around the Bitcoin machine, but thankfully they weren't able to pull it out. However, the store's front window was absolutely damaged by them backing up and breaking it into it and so forth. The store owner believes the suspect, again, thought it was an ATM machine, uh, but left without anything not even a bitcoin for their trouble quote i think they thought it was a cash station atm the store owner said quote they didn't steal nothing they didn't get no cigarettes no money no drinks no nothing and that is our stupid suspect story that 
That's really pretty stupid. That, that's me. pretty funny. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. funny. But it's funny and dangerous. I mean, you know, if you're stupid, you shouldn't you shouldn't you know have a gun, right? If you're that dumb, yeah. right? Well, yeah, so, you know, dumb people do dumb scary. things. Yeah. Now, I usually I'll have like three stupid suspect stories, right? And we have the horror headlines, and I research all this. Coming back from D.C., I I'm just got back, and man, I just had enough time to find one story, and boom. So I do apologize for not having more stories. And this heroic inspirational closing message is one in the same. I heard about this story about a college student who was blindsided by a shark attack. Uh, in the story, he, his name is Kevin Blanco. He's 20-year-old from Miami-Dade County, and he was spearfishing with some friends uh in what's called Marathon Miami. Uh, this just occurred last Thursday. Uh, he was about 70 feet underwater at the time when out of nowhere, he didn't see it coming, he was bit twice Ooh. by a shark. And when I say bit, I mean, we're talking massive, massive bite on the thigh. I saw the video, I saw, he did an interview on Good Morning America, he did an interview on Fox. He's been talking about what he thought was probably about a 500-pound bull shark that bit him twice in the thigh. Um, he, quote, I just got blindsided. I don't really remember the pain, but I remember the pressure and the force that he hit my leg with, um, he said. And again, Kevin said this. Now, he had other buddies with him, thank God. His friend, and that's why I talk about this being inspirational, because eventually Kevin got to the boat he was able to use a device that is kind of like a, a, a belt that sinks them in the water so that they're not floating up. Mm -hmm. uh, he used that uh, to t use as a tourniquet, tourniquet. over yeah. his, his wow. leg and saved his own life. To me, that's inspirational thinking. Wow. Uh, you know, well, yeah, you just got bit twice by a exactly. shark. Exactly, and middle you're able of this? to think through this, even though wow. you're in shock and losing massive, massive blood because this was, I mean, I don't even have a number for the, the stitches. It was just ungodly how many stitches. But his friend is the heroic part. Danny Maduro witnessed the attack, said, quote, he was in major shock but quickly went into survival mode to help his injured friend. He ended up going down. As a shark is attacking his buddy, Whoa. he swims down to grab him. And they both said, we have no idea where the shark went. We literally just ignored the shark to get him back up. And the shark absolutely could have came back for another attack. Well, sure, because um, they because, love the smell of blood. Thank you. In yeah. the water, blood in the water. And yeah, so that is absolutely so heroic for Danny Maduro. I get the... You know, wanting to save your own life for Kevin, right? You know, I don't consider that heroic. It's like, on, you know, being a good guy and life saving, you know, and going, you know, saving the saving yourself. But Danny, absolutely heroic. In an interview from his hospital bed, uh, Kevin told Fox News that after uh, getting back on the boat, he took off his weight belt, which is what I was referring to, and tied it across his leg as a tourniquet. Meanwhile, another buddy called 911. He begged the dispatcher to send someone out fast as possible, saying that the victim was, quote, bleeding really bad. It's a really big gash, end quote. Kevin was transported via their boat to a, uh, a local bar and grill where he was then airlifted to Jackson South Medical Center in Miami for treatment. Um, what's interesting about this is that um, doctors have said that Kevin absolutely uh, was lucky that the bite was missed a major artery. I was going to say inches, right there in the leg, you have the main artery. Exactly, it missed it by wow. by an, by inches. Wow. Uh, quote: It was a situation that could have turned very very bad. Said his father, Omar Blanco, who by the way is a Miami Dade fire captain Ooh, with the very cool. fire rescue, and he said, "quote What he did was miraculous. Both my son and his hero." friend so yeah i kind of think that's a neat uh connection with the uh the fire captain he instilled throughout the years probably doesn't even realize it that he's part of this success story uh this inspirational story because he, he the son if he knew nothing about you know fire department and their rescue he knew something from his dad about tourniquets and was able to put on a tourniquet without thinking just went right into it saved his own life and then be around the right friends. And this friend 
Uh, and I got to say his name again because I really think Danny can, Maduro. Can, can you imagine if you were down in that water and you saw that shark? What would you do? I'd be like punching him and kicking you know, him. And, I'm not a big fan of the water. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I wish I, I could tell you with complete confidence that I would swim down there. I kind of think I would based you, you on what would I've done in 30 you, years you, as a cop. But yeah. water scares me. I'm not going to lie to you. Water scares me. And, and sharks in water are even worse, really. But you're one of those guys. <laughs> I mean, you ran right into the fire to try to save somebody from the car on fire right, you, right. I, I can imagine you I, I would just jump down all there cops, I think yes. would but for this kid some you know 20 year old buddy to swim down knowing there's a shark down there knowing that you could be the next meal uh, it's what a heroic story and then inspirational yeah. to the extent that the fire captain's son gleamed things from his dad uh, I can't help but think that so I like to look at the dad as also being part of this 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 inspirational story and again the dad is Omar Blanco he is a uh, fire captain with Miami-Dade Fire Rescue so kudos to the dad kudos to the son and kudos to his buddy I just love that story there all in in lines of service so i imagine the the two guys will probably end up following in footsteps and doing something right, service orientated right. yeah i i think yeah i think you're kind of right that's I awesome do. i do uh you know what else is awesome what's that you thank yeah. you for everything you do as the brains of this outfit i'm just the duct tape i want to thank uh again uh Star Worldwide Studios, Dave Pratt, for allowing us this pulpit to talk with you. But most of all, I want to thank you, the listening audience, because without you, there is no Badge Boy. So until next week, stay safe. Badge Boys. Thanks for listening to Badge Boys. <laughs> Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Badge Boys, heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Badge Boys.